2: Missoula Sports Center.
0: Coaster ride continues for the Montana Lady Grizz. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanes. what could and likely is the final makeup game of the season for Montana, UM played Idaho for the second time in four games on Monday in Moscow. Thursday, UM beat UI 76-73 in a game that included 21 lead changes and 14 ties. Monday, the Lady Grizz built its lead to as many as 14 points late in the third quarter, only to let it slip away. Idaho rallied all the way back, led by Beyonce B's 24-point outburst to post a 70-69 with a over Montana. Fight 20 points from Carmen G. Feller, 16 points from Abby Anderson, 14 points from Sophia Stiles. The month of February has been tumultuous for Montana. Stiles hit a buzzer beater to beat Weaver State a few weeks ago, starting a wild stretch that also included a loss to defending big-sky champion Idaho State at home, beating upstart Southern Utah in Cedar City in a Monday makeup game, losing on another buzzer beater at Northern Arizona, losing to rebuilding Eastern Washington in another Monday makeup game, beating Idaho and Portland State over the weekend, and falling on the third straight Monday to the Vandals. UM now sits at 9-7 in league play, while Idaho is 7-8. The Montana State women started their four-game road trip to end the regular season in Portland Monday. The Bobcats moved to 13-4 and into a tie for first place. Idaho State with an 82-57 win over Portland State. The Vikings are 0-15 in big-step play. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Selway Armory. Welcome back. It's Nuwana's now. ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. Coulter Nuanas coming to you from the Northwest Motorsports Studio. Missed anything in the first hour of the show? We talked some men's basketball in the Big Sky Conference. Heard from Montana State head men's basketball coach Danny Sprinkle. We talked some women's hoops. Heard from Grizz Senior, Sophia Stiles, our Grizz Star of the Week. Also had a good interview with the gents from Up on the Mountain, a documentary that debuts at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival tomorrow night, 8 p.m. at the Wilma. We also had our Treasure State Stars for the Week, highlighting some of the best performances from around the state of Montana over the past week. You can find all of that on the Nuana's Now podcast, probably presented by Sportsbet Montana, as well as The Advocates. Andrew was not here last Tuesday, so we're doing a little uh, NBA extravaganza part two. Austin Tutel is here, kicking it with me last week. And so I'm going to ask you some of the similar questions that... He was asking me, or that we were talking about last week, Andrew, but I'm going to start with a different question. The Phoenix Suns went to the NBA Finals for the first time since, I believe, 1991, certainly the first time in your lifetime that that's happened, and they are now back with not only the best record in the league, but a historically good record. If you win 50 of your first 60 games, you are on a really good pace. And Phoenix right now is closing in on that. They've they're 48 and 10. They're a full six and a half games better than the Warriors for the number one seed, and they have a full 10 wins more than anyone in the East. So my question for you is: Are the Suns overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Because to me, I feel like they're not
3: getting nearly as much love as they should. I think they're underrated. I think not only are they a, a contender Coulter, I think you can make a really good argument for why they're the contender in the league right now. Why do you think it is that they are underrated because their best player is Devin Booker and Chris Paul you know well, so but why do people not buy into that? That's what the NBA is. Why wouldn't you want those guys? Well of course, right I mean they're great players, but they're sort
0: of so I guess I guess the real question is because I totally agree with what you're what you're getting at here. I don't understand why Devin Booker isn't in the same conversation as some of the other guys that are much bigger superstars than him. I would much rather have Devin Booker than James Harden. Really? No, like, I don't even think it's close. Eight days a week. James Harden can't win. Devin Booker's already won more in his career
3: than James Harden has, will ever win in his career. No doubt. I think there are just a couple things that are specific to those guys um, that are sort of holding the narrative on them down a little bit. Like, Devin Booker is sort of – I like that you compared him to James Harden because he's sort of in that James Harden class of, like, guys who can score and have questions about the other part of their game. Sure. He's not an all-around, you know – wing game changer like Giannis or like LeBron or like even like a guy like Kawhi Leonard a couple of years ago so I think he, uh the perception of him suffers a little bit because of that and as far as Chris Paul goes I mean people have seen him lose it in big spots too many times before Yeah when And get, whether that's fair or not there, it, it there, colors people's thinking Chris Paul
0: First of all I think that the the narrative of how poor the Clippers' training staff was and how much that contributed to this omnipresence of injury-prone players while Chris Paul was there. I think that's a real narrative and an undertold one. I also think, though, that that team just w- didn't have the, the mental makeup to handle playing in a giant market like L.A. But Chris Paul... That's on Chris Paul, though, right? He's oh, the point totally, guard. Totally, but Chris Paul has drug... Teams that have never had any tradition or history farther than they've ever been before, and uh, I, I guess I don't want to go down my, my my rabbit hole of what I always say, but the 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 domination and the never losing uh, in the biggest moments that Michael Jordan was able to etch in his legend is. Some Most people would say is the best thing that ever happened in the NBA. I would say it's the worst thing that ever happened in the NBA because it completely skews our version of greatness. And so then, therefore, we start to think of guys like Chris Paul and Jason Kidd and Steve Nash who are all three probably top 40 players in NBA history, but we completely underrate them because they didn't win six championships like Michael Jordan. I got a newsflash for everybody. Half the teams in the NBA have never won a championship. Most of the championship banners are hanging in Boston, L.A., or Chicago. And San Antonio's got five of them, and the Warriors got five of them. And go ahead and name me anybody else that has even a couple. That's it. I mean, is there a team in the league that's ever just won one title? I guess the Blazers and the Sonics back right after the ABA-NBA merger. But, like, most teams aren't even in the conversation, so I think it's sort of an unfair rap. But more than anything, though, in the here and now, the Suns played in the finals last year, and they have the best rigor in the league this year, and it seems like they have the best roster construction of any team in the NBA besides the Golden State
3: Warriors. So I guess I just don't understand why they are underrated. Well, and they might have the best coach, and the thing about them, Coulter, this year is they are winning those close games. I mean, that's been the most shocking thing about this team. They don't lose close games, man. It's been and after seeing them lose to Milwaukee in the finals uh, last year in sort of a couple games that swung with a couple plays here and there. They are finding ways to make those plays that year, whether that's a function of just having been there and done that or it's a function of, you know, everybody on the roster just leveling up a little bit because they did. They they brought everybody back. They found themselves in the finals, I think, and we've talked about this probably a year or two ahead of schedule, a lot of people would have said. But then they brought everybody back. They they trusted it and they, they lost sort of a gut-wrenching losing four straight to lose the finals. But they, they stayed the course and they brought everybody back. And that little bit of continuity, if that's what it is, I mean, they're, they're winning those games this year.
0: The other thing that sort of drives me crazy about the, the NBA news machine is that once we pick a story and tell a story, then we don't want to tell that story anymore. we got to find a new story, which is seems silly, especially if the same story is still a prominent one. You know, We've, we've seen this with the MVP voting for the last handful of years. We need a new guy. We need a new, and we need to anoint a new guy about this time of year. Usually, about sixty games of the regular season. Who's going to be the guy? Who's in the MVP conversation? Oh, well, that guy's won MVPs. He can't be in there. It's kind of the same thing right now with the Milwaukee Bucks, and I guess the Suns are sort of suffering from the same deal. But the Bucks won the title last year. Giannis Antetokounmpo maybe doesn't project himself like. The best player in the NBA, and or he doesn't self glorify himself like so many other of his superstar peers in the NBA. Yet, I can't believe that anybody would bet against the Bucks, given their roster makeup and the fact that when it comes down to it, I'm not going to bet against Giannis Antetokounmpo until proven otherwise. So I also think it's sort of interesting that the Bucks are sitting there, and uh, I mean I know they're fifth in the East, but they're it's kind of like a three way tie right now. Now they're only two and a half games back from Miami for the number one spot. Why
3: aren't people talking more about the Bucs? Are they just tired of it? Yeah, and they should be, Coulter. They should be talking about it because you know what's happening now, man. Giannis is starting to hit jump shots. That exactly. should be the biggest story in the league because everybody's been saying it for years, man. If that happens, well, this is over. Right. And he's starting to do it now. He's showing off like the, the Dirk or, or LeBron or even like the Michael Jordan fade away from the post. That's all he's got to do, man. He doesn't have to hit 40% of his threes. If he's hitting mid-range and he can get to his mid-range on the fadeaway or on the pull-up, it's over. Yeah, it's true. And the other thing is that we
0: can talk until we're blue in the face about all these regular season games, but the NBA is so much, I mean, it's obviously so much about the postseason, but it comes down to what level can you rise to and sustain during the postseason. So you, you can make arguments with me or with anybody of who the best player in the NBA is. And I, I think LeBron James still has at least uh, a, little bit of a, of a, a little bit of validity to be in that conversation. Kevin Durant certainly is in that conversation. Stephen Curry is absolutely in that conversation with Giannis and Luka Doncic, all that. But when it comes to the playoffs, who can take their game to the highest level and sustain it at the highest level? That was LeBron for so long. I don't know if he has that in him yet, but I'm not – still, I guess I should say, but I'm not willing to bet against the King yet. But I do think that Giannis can take his game to a higher level at a more sustainable high level than anybody else in the league. So that's why I think that regardless of where they finish, how they finish, any of that stuff. If it's Giannis versus the field in the playoffs,
3: I'm taking Giannis at this exact moment in his career. Well, but that answers your question of why nobody's talking about them, right? Because I think a lot of people think that same way, after, especially after what he showed last year in the playoffs. They know he's going to be there at the end of the season. They know the Bucks are going to be there at the end of the season. So there's not really much to say about them right now. I mean, everybody, they have the benefit of the doubt now, Coulter, because of what they did in the playoffs last year. After, after failing in the playoffs a couple times during Giannis's MVP seasons. But after what they did last year, they have the benefit of the doubt now that they're going to be able to flip the switch, which is rare for that. I mean, we saw people talking about the Warriors being able to do that or LeBron being able to do that all the time in the playoffs. But until you've proven that you can, you're not going to get that benefit of the doubt. But they have that now. And that's why, I mean, there's no point in talking about them in the regular season. They're going to be there when it matters. No, is now
0: ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television talking NBA here with my guy in the back, Andrew Houghton, our producer here at ESPN. All right, I got an open question for you. Who's the biggest surprise in the NBA to you? It doesn't have to necessarily be a, su- a surprise a success, just who's the biggest surprise? Who is different than you thought that they were going to be? What, a player? Uh, no, as a team. As a, excuse me, as a team. Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah. But you could, I guess the optimistic followers would say that you you would hope that John
3: Morant would make a jump like he did. Well, look, man, I know he can. I know he can jump out of the building, but I don't think anybody saw a jump in his level <laughs> sure. this much. I mean, I think we we thought we thought this could have been a ceiling. Nobody would have projected that he would be there, you know, two three years into his NBA career. Is he is Ja
0: Morant the most untradable asset in the league? No. Is Luka Doncic the most untrained asset in the league? Probably Giannis is still the most yeah, untrained asset. Yeah, I
3: mean, Giannis is still only like what,
0: 26? I think he's just turned 27, yeah.
3: Yeah, I would still say. Well, Giannis. how old is Luka
0: Doncic? Like 12? <laughs> 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 Luka's been, been in the league for like half a dozen years already. And he's still 22 is Luka Doncic. So he's been, yes, yeah, his fifth season in the NBA and he's 22 years old. So um, that's a good one. Trey Young's got to be up there too. Uh, just in terms of guys, especially with their fits for their specific franchises, too, because I just think that he's such a good fit in Atlanta, too.
3: Definitely. I mean, he's got that team. I mean, we saw this in the playoffs last year. They're just not scared of anybody, and it's because he's not scared of anybody. Uh, I guess if we're talking about that list, man, how about a couple guys from this rookie class? Tell me more about the rookies, because I've been
0: just down getting in the NBA. Who, uh, Kate Cunningham.
3: Who Number I got one. to
0: I got to watch last year against Oregon State in the second round of the NCAA tournament and was incredibly impressed with his pace and his discipline. But he's even taking it up a notch. He was the MVP of the of the uh rookie all star game, right?
3: I didn't watch it. I have no idea. But he's the real deal for sure. And yeah. the, the Pistons are still horrible. So with him you're just looking for uh, man, they're like flat. beyond horrible, right? Don't they have the worst record in the league? Magic or a game worse, but oh, yeah, man. they're right there. Okay. Um, He's the real deal, though, and that's what you're looking for when it's a rookie on a bad team. It's just like, can they handle themselves? Can they deal with the speed of the game? Are they getting better as the season goes on, as they pick stuff up? But yeah, I remember talking about this draft it was one of the first things that we did when I came back here, one of the first right. episodes I was on Juanez now. What about Evan Mobley, man? I know. You and I were talking about
0: this when we were making dinner the other week. Um, I, I'll i eat it I'll eat it on this one. I, I was wrong about Evan Mobley. I, I was fully wrong. I watched him against the Grizz in the first game of the season last year when Montana played at USC. And then I watched him again when they played Kansas in the NCAA tournament. That was actually the very last of the 14 games that Riley Corcoran and I were able to go to. And uh, – I, I thought that he was just sort of a oh, uh, I thought he was just drifting. I I, I didn't I didn't like his motor. I, I didn't think he was that tough. I also I guess I didn't realize how skilled he was. That's the one of the craziest parts about the NBA, and I think it's such a such an analysis of of men's college basketball right now, where guys like Cade Cunningham, who who definitely was provided a green light at Oklahoma State, no doubt, but gets better and more appealing to watch when they get to the NBA because the style is so much more fluid. Seems like that's very much like Evan Mobley, too. He was, like, too structured at USC. Now he can be this rim-running, high-post, like, passing guy. He He's a lot more diverse offensively than I thought he was, I guess, uh, in the times I watched him live.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was, there, that was sort of the knock on him coming out of, of college was whether he would be able to, to score enough. I mean, everybody saw that he had the pieces in place. I mean... People were talking about that he was a good passer, and people were talking about that he had the potential to be the anchor of a really good NBA defense. That's been the shocking thing, though. You see a lot of rookies be able to come into the league. They can score. They can get theirs. They can, they can function on offense. It's a very, very, very rare for a rookie to be able to be above water on defense in their first year. And Mobley is not only that. He's the anchor of this Cleveland Cavaliers team. I mean, if we're talking about biggest surprises in the league, they're right up there and they're doing it a lot of the time with defense. ESPN Radio, as
0: well as SWX Montana Television, you're listening to Nuwana now, and it is a testament to his impact. I mean, for a moment in time, I mean, last week when we were doing this segment, the Cleveland Cavaliers had the second best record in the East. They're two and a half games out of the top spot right now in sort of a three-way tie with uh, the 76ers and the Bucks. Um, at 35 and 23, roughly, I guess the Bucks are 36 and 24.
3: But I'm looking at it right now, Coulter, and I, did, I knew they were good. I didn't know that this was true. Best defense in the league in terms of points per game allowed. <laughs> did you see the ridiculous –
0: I mean, so many things on Twitter are ridiculous, but the ridiculous argument over Jarrett Allen's outfit. Like, at the All-Star Game, no. Jarrett, Jarrett Allen wore, like, I don't know. What, like, we – I don't know. Just, it looked like a normal outfit to me. It was like a – uh, hoodie with some buttons and some like blue khaki style pants, like blue slacks and, and like some boat shoes. And people were like clowning on him? They were like, clowning on him. Because I, I thought it was so ironic because he didn't look like a clown like so many of these guys look like all the time. For sure. <laughs> and that's why people were clowning on him. Like, bro, get some swag. Like, what is this outfit? It's like this looks like a normal outfit to and me. It's just like <laughs>
3: something that a normal
0: person would wear. <laughs> exactly. It's sorry it's not crazy tie dye shirt or whatever Russell Westbrook has been wearing. <laughs> oh man, the irony of the fact that they get the NBA instilled a dress code so that uh so Allen Iverson couldn't wear his headband and and chains around as much anymore. And it just made it so the guys have the most flamboyant and hilarious style. It is fun to to sort of watch those guys as they come and go from games. Is there any other storylines that that really stick out to you. What, what's your take on the Ben Simmons-James um, Harden trade?
3: Who who won that trade? Everybody. You think so? Every single person involved in that trade won that trade. Uh, really surprising, but th- I'm, I'm glad it happened. I mean, you talk about the 76ers got an, an all-star who has the potential to be one of the best five or ten best players in the league in return for a guy who wasn't playing for them. Like, we can talk about how badly this situation went Right. in Philadelphia and also in Brooklyn with James Harden, and like how that could have been avoided and maybe that would have worked out better for all parties, by the time we got to the point where the situation was what it was going into the trade deadline, this was the best that they could have done because Ben Simmons wasn't going to play for Philadelphia. Right. It was becoming obvious that James Harden was checked out in Brooklyn and he wasn't and now maybe you say if you get to the playoffs is James Harden really going to loaf through the playoffs when he's playing with Kevin Durant and they've got a chance to make a run at it maybe maybe not but I think he was making it obvious that his his heart and his head wasn't really in it anymore and so you had these two teams that um were sort of backed up against the wall and I think they both did the best that they can and of course for the players if you don't want to be there not only did you get out, but you got out to another team that's still going to be a contender. You didn't have to go to Houston. You didn't have to go to Orlando or Detroit or somewhere. Well, I think James you're,
0: Harden wanted to go back to Houston, but that was for a bunch of reasons that have nothing to do with basketball. Yeah, was are <laughs> of, like off-court reasons. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he has like a $60 million ranch there, so that helps. Living Kanye style, off the grid. But, no, you're right. Everybody does sort of wait in that. Um, a couple more for you. Orleans now, ESPN Radio. The Lakers right now are about a game out of the the eighth spot. They're trailing the Clippers. Meanwhile, LeBron's trying to win the scoring title. (laughs) It's going to be hilarious when LeBron James wins wins the scoring title at uh, the ripe old age of of 37. But where are we at with the Lakers? I I know that they're not a a title contender, although I actually wouldn't put – if I handicapped the entire field, I wouldn't put them nearly – as far down as they are right now. Like, they're not like the 17th best team in the NBA. In the playoffs, I think that they could actually make a little bit of a run and maybe wreck the bracket if they can get in. But where are we at with the Lakers? Because I just can't imagine that even with sort of the the failings of this year and and, uh, the failed experiment that has been the Russell Westbrook edition, I still can't see the King not making the playoffs.
3: No, well, of course it helps that, you know, ten teams are gonna make the playoffs culture this year because the play in tournament and that's where they are right now, ninth in the West. It's hard to for it's hard to forget about the Lakers as much as you want to. This is a team that does not they don't play pretty basketball. Their pieces don't fit together at all. A large part of that is due to Russell Westbrook, but it's also due to the guys that they sort of yep. jettisoned in order to get Russell Westbrook on the team. Yep. I mean, they've got this undrafted kid from Oklahoma, Austin Reeves, who I had never heard of in college. <laughs> never. He's suddenly like their third or fourth most important player because he can shoot, so that adds a little bit of spacing to them. But you never, ever, ever get to completely forget about the Lakers. I think I've watched more of the Lakers when I come home and flip on the game on TNT or whatever's well, of course, on yeah. the ESPN game. You see as much of the Lakers as you do of anybody in the league still, so... Man, they're just kind of there. I think they can make a run if they get the right matchup in the in the playoffs. Well, and
0: if they just get healthy. I mean, if Anthony Davis and Avery Bradley come back. I'm out on Anthony Davis right now. Well, I mean, haven't we always been out on Anthony Davis? Has there ever been a more... Well, I, when he I, I was, was when this... he
3: was in New Orleans and they were the eighth seed and they took the Warriors, I mean, they, like, yeah. beat the Warriors one game in the first round. I was in on Anthony Davis. I, I was thinking about this. That was, this. like,
0: six years ago, though. I was thinking about this the other night when uh, the NBA All-Star game was happening because it's, it's the NBA's 75th anniversary and they released the 75 greatest players in NBA history. And Anthony Davis was on there. And I thought to myself, huh, that's weird. Does he deserve to be on there? And I thought to myself, well, in, in resume, he absolutely does. And it's it's just wild when you have such prodigious talent and you are so good at such a young age that Anthony Davis, when you look at his career, I think a lot of people would consider him an underachiever. Yet he's like multiple time first team All NBA, you know, multiple time all star.
3: He's absolutely one of the 75 greatest players in NBA history. He's got a title. I mean there have been times where we've been talking about him in that best player in the league conversation, no, no sort question. of at the fringes of it, but he was in there. He just can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy and he also
0: is just so what's the right word? He's like so myopic. I don't know why he's like that. I don't know why he's so unengaged sometimes. I don't know. I I, I actually I had a a, a an interesting Change of thought, though, the other day. I was listening to a podcast, and I, I feel bad that I can't remember the, the the gentleman who was on with Bill Simmons. I believe he is someone that, that works for a national outlet but that has covered the Houston Rockets for a long time, and he, he was talking about James Harden. And it seemed as if this guy – I was only listening to kind of a snippet of this podcast, but it seemed as if this, this man knew James Harden very well. And – he he said something so interesting. He said, the general public that loves the NBA and watches the NBA wants so badly for players like James Harden to care about only one thing. Like, the general public wants everyone to be like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. But like this guy was saying, a lot of people just aren't like that. And, and James Harden, he's saying, James Harden just thinks playing basketball is fun and he wants to play basketball and make money and travel around and put on a show. And he's not really that concerned with his legacy and winning and all this stuff. Like he certainly wants to win more than lose, but he's not just like, man, if Kobe Bryant was like, dude, I am going to win at least five championships before I will die on the court unless I win five titles and get in the conversation with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would rather die than losing the NBA Finals. James Harden, I don't think, really cares, and this guy was saying that, and he's like, James would tell you the same thing. So maybe you guys should stop killing him for just, like, his personality type. And I thought it was just actually sort of enlightening because even if we don't love that about certain athletes, it is sort of a good point. Like, it's hard to really kill James Harden. I mean, he's been averaging, like, 30 points a game for, like, 10 years straight and makes the playoffs every year. So uh, it's, it goes back to the... The, I think there's a huge missed analysis, in that we call guys that don't win championships we say they're not winners. That's not true. They're not champions. That's, there's a huge difference. Carmelo Anthony has gone through this his whole career. Carmelo Anthony's absolutely a winner. He's just not a champion. That's the difference. James Harden, same thing.
3: Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, with Joel Embiid now, that's the best fit that he's ever had for him in terms of, like, a sidekick so? running mate. You think so? Yeah, I mean, Chris, I mean, it's Chris, better, it's Chris Paul. Than, it's better than Ben Simmons, that's for sure. Chris Paul, when he was down in Houston, I mean, Chris Paul's just a great fit for everybody. And so is KD, of course. But, like, first of all, they never played that big three together in right. Brooklyn. Like, I, you know, that's the stat that's been going around. They played all 16 games together for various Uh, injury and uh, immunization-related reasons. Right. But uh, there was a little bit of juggling because all those guys like to have the ball. I mean, when you look at Embiid and James Harden, it's just like classic inside-outside man. Those guys have a million ways to kill you. I love that point that you're making about James Harden. I think that's a thing that stands out more in basketball than any any other sport. Right. Not only because... We have these examples of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, like the two most famous players to ever play the game, I think I would say. (laughs) Probably. LeBron is in there. LeBron and Matthew Johnson are there too, Larry Bird. But yeah, you're right. They're certainly right
0: up there. I mean, there's guys like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are so famous. They're like, they're beyond just basketball famous. They're world famous, right? Right.
3: That's what I'm saying. There are not a lot of guys in that category. Totally. So they were wired that way. And so that became a very, uh, you know, famous and often followed example and often quoted and preached example. But also because in basketball, it's so easy to see what James Harden could be if he was wired that way. James Harden comes out on the court and does 15 or 20 just genius level things every night. You watch James Harden and you're like, man. This guy is incredible at basketball. What could he be if he was wired the same way that Jordan was, right? And so totally. it's a lot easier to see that sort of individual genius and high ceiling in basketball than it is in a lot of other sports. And so people get disappointed when they're not putting in everything to reach that level. I think that's part of it, too. More NBA talk
0: coming later on throughout the week and throughout the rest of the season as well. It's new on is now ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. More Big Sky Doc Fest right for this. Keep it right here. ESPN Radio. If you're ever injured in an accident and you're worried about if a lawyer is going to cost you too much money, the advocates, they will provide help for you. No out-of-pocket costs until your case is settled. You pass the stress of your accident off to the advocates. That helps you focus on getting better. To find out how the advocates can help you, you can call them free of charge, 406-640-4444 today, or you can visit... Montana and remember you deserve an advocate.
2: ESPN Missoula Sports Center
0: coaster ride continues for the Montana Lady Grizz. Hello, I am Colter Nuanez. What could and likely is the final makeup game of the season for Montana, UM played Idaho for the second time in four games on Monday in Moscow. Thursday, UM beat UI 76-73 in a game that included 21 lead changes and 14 ties. Monday, the Lady Grizz built its lead to as many as 14 points late in the third quarter, only to let it slip away. Idaho rallied all the way back, led by Beyonce B's 24-point outburst to post a 70-69 win over Montana. Fight 20 points from Carmen G. Feller, 16 points from Abby Anderson, 14 points from Sophia Stiles. The month of February has been tumultuous for Montana. Stiles hit a buzzer beater to beat Weaver State a few weeks ago, starting a wild stretch that also included a loss to defending big-sky champion Idaho State at home, beating upstart Southern Utah in Cedar City in a Monday makeup game, losing on another buzzer beater at Northern Arizona, losing to rebuilding Eastern Washington in another Monday makeup game, beating Idaho and Portland State over the weekend, and falling on the third straight Monday to the Vandals. U M now sits at 9 and 7 in league play while Idaho is 7 and 8. The Montana State Women started their four game road trip to end the regular season in Portland Monday. Monday. Bobcats moved to 13 and 4 and into a tie for first place Idaho State with an 82-57 win over Portland State. The Vikings are 0 15 in big step play. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Silway Armory.
2: One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, this is how we usually start Once again, it's the thought that Dalai Lama of the Mike, the Prime Minister thought This directed to whoever and listen, you're Yo, the whole state of things in the world about the change Black rain falling from the sky, looks strange The ghetto was red hot, we're stepping on flames
0: What up, Montana? Welcome in. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio. Thanks so much for kicking it with us here on a Tuesday. Hope you're staying warm out there. Like one of my old ball coaches used to say, no such thing as bad weather, just dumb people that don't wear the right clothes. If you're going to go out in Missoula, go see some films. Our Big Sky Documentary Film Festival interview series rolls on here on ESPN Radio. It's my favorite time of year in Missoula. I know that's crazy to say. I love football season. I love all that. But I love when the Doc Fest is rolling because you get to meet so many interesting people from all over the place. And some of these films are so awesome. I'm very excited to go check out the one that will debut tomorrow night, 5:30 at the Wilma. It's called "Out of the Muck," and right now I'm joined in studio by Wa- Bowen Suchak-, Suchak Is that what I'm saying right? Bowen Suchak and Ira McKinley. Guys, what's up? Thanks so much for being here. Let's first of all just start with the broad premise of this film. It's uh, a film all about football, so that should be a, it. Should be a big hit here in Montana because, as I'm sure you guys have learned pretty rapidly, being in Missoula. Football's the biggest ticket in town here. Uh, the college teams in Montana are like pro teams everywhere else because we don't have any pro teams, so people love football. But we'll start with you, Ira. Just just take us through sort of the origin of this film. We'll give you guys the idea to do it, and uh, what are some of, just sort of the broad details of, of what Out of the Muck is all about?
2: So me and Bowen, um came into um, working on this film uh, when we did our first film, The Throwaways, and... We were talking at, at NYU with Sam Pollard. And Sam Pollard is known for working with Spike Lee on Juice, Boozled, uh, Katrina Four Parts. You know, he's done so much. Um, he's a producer, he's our executive producer on this film. So we were lucky to get him to help mentor us through this. The film is about me going back um, after 35 years of not being to my family's hometown, to the place where my mother and father met, and then they moved us up to New York. And the place is known for producing NFL players. Right. So since 1985, there's been, I, I would say, at least 90 players that came from this area. Unbelievable. From Ancron Bolden to Super Bowl MVP, Santonio San Holmes, Hall of Famer, Ricky Jackson. You have Janoris Jenkins playing now. You have uh, McPhee, Pennell McPhee. You have um, Travis Benjamin that just played for San Francisco. There's just so much talent that has come out of there. Um, Fred Taylor, Jaguars, mm-hmm. Calvin Benjamin. Um, you know, there's just so much talent. And we we actually filmed how these how they train and they train different. Like you guys might train like um chasing goats and sheep around here.
0: Something <laughs> <don't> like that. <laughs> yes.
2: We train by they train by chasing rabbits out of the sugar cane field. Wow, okay. So when they go to cut the sugar cane and there's a way to supplement their families with food and meat. So the the rabbits are sweet because they're eating sugar cane and you know how rabbits multiply so the big sugar companies like these people coming catching these rabbits, cause they're like they're like rodents. Sure, you know what I'm saying. So and you know how they multiply. So it, it's one it's one um, corporation helping another. So the young kids are, they're providing meat and money, cause they sell the rabbits for what eight to ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so they, they go down to Miami. And you got to know this is South Florida. So you got West Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. And there's so much talent. So you have, what's his name from, that came from Boynton Beach? Lamar Jackson. Sure, All these players come from this area. So our, our, our film is just showing the history. Right. And the history has been a lot of things. So they had a hurricane in 1928 that killed 3,000 people. Then you had the Harvest of Shame, which Edward R. Murrow did, that showed how the migration went. And Mm -hmm. my family were migrant workers, so that's how we came to New York. Interesting. Because they wanted us to have a better education back in the 60s and 70s. So we moved out of that Jim Crow area Mm -hmm. to a better place where they could get education. And um, I actually had to have Bowen help me, because he's the technical director. Mm -hmm. He's the one, when you see the shots and all that, him and his people that he worked with came down to coordinate that. So he's like the director of photography, he's the editor. He, um, he, 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 He does so much. I'm just a storyteller. Right. You know, I have some skills, but the man with the skills is is Bowen. So.
0: Well, Bowen, how, how did you then first uh, get connected to this story then?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, as Ira mentioned, the second film that Ira and I have um, co-directed and co-produced together. We did a film in 2014 that we released called The Throwaways, which we took to festivals around the country and, you know, colleges and universities. And, you know, the... It was interesting. We were actually done with the throwaways, and we were, I remember, actually, we were coming back from a Martin Luther King Day um, presentation in, um, in Syracuse, and I said, I, know, I got the next film. You know, and I'll be honest with you. And people might not know who are out there. It takes a lot of work to make a documentary. Especially oh, an unbelievable legs. amount of work. I mean, it, it's it's way more complex than doing like a narrative film because you don't have a script for so sure. You have to really, you know, you have to film and then you have to really kind of like piece the story together. A lot of times in the edit, um, based off of some of the ideas that you went out and actually executed in production. And so, Ira and I, you know, we're driving, and Ira says, "I got another idea for for the next film." And I'm in my head, I was just like, "Oh man, I'm so tired and burnt out from this one." But when he pitched it to me and told me this idea about his hometown, where his family was from, and all these NFL football players and tying in the history and weaving all that, you know, together into a story, it kind of had this real epic, you know, kind of feel to it. and And I was intrigued, you know. And so him and I talked about it for a while. Like he said, we pitched it to Sam Pollard, who's our executive producer. And then, you know, the interesting thing is... Ira and I went down to Florida in 2015 for what was called the Muck Bowl, which is the big rivalry game between Belglade and Pahokee, these two towns that produce all these players. And we started filming a little bit and getting to meet some of the folks. And then that's when Ira had reconnected with his niece and nephew, Bridget and Alvin, who are the two main characters in the film, and really started to understand that this is a community that's really unique and special and that football isn't just necessarily about the sport. And the game only it's about the culture and how it brings the community together and his family's been there for seven generations you know so right. we wanted to tell this story about his family who have come back some of them you know you got his some of his uh, his, his uh, nieces and nep- or some of his nephews are you know gone d1 and came back and wanted to help out the community and so we basically you know sat down and mapped out the idea and honestly we took you know we went from 2016 Till about 2019, filming this this project. Followed a whole season, went back a whole bunch of different times. Ira lived down there for three years. And then one of the interesting things that ties to Big Sky is we met one of our producers, Tracy Rector, Uh at Big Sky, in 2016 When I was here With my daughter's film She had a short documentary Oh cool. Big Sky And I met Tracy And we had just started The project And we didn't have a producer We had Sam Who was interested And he was supporting it But he, we didn't have Any producers yet And so Tracy jumped on And that's when To me Like we kind of Be able to start Piecing together a team And then we got support From ITVS Which is you know The the only publicly funded You know uh, Documentary entity And so now our film Is going to be broadcast on, on, on national television And so you know We're going to be making Some announcements about that, but that'll be in 2023. So this is, to me, this is the end of a big journey for us. It's a big moment for us because, you know, we've been working on this film for almost seven years. The pandemic disrupted it for two years. Right. You know, I wasn't supposed to edit it like I ever said, <laughs> you know, it was, but I had to because we had editors lined up who then had to drop out because of COVID. So it became this real you know, labor of love, to be honest with you. And and honestly, like his story, Ira's like you said, he's an incredible storyteller and it's about how do we take a story that is in your head, that's really this big story with so many aspects Mm -hmm, to it and mm -hmm. bring it into a film. And here we are, you know, like I said, seven years later. So, you know, people that are out there, you know, this is this is a story that we believe is is something that's never been told before about a community and, 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 and people that have never really had their stories told on a on a scale like
0: this. Pixie documentary film festival interview series here on ESPN Radio. The film, Out of the Muck. The directors, Bob and Sukach, as well as Ira McKinley, in studio with me here on ESPN Radio talking about this documentary all about Pahokee, Florida.
2: And NFL players that come out of it. And people, this is our world premiere. This is the world
1: premiere, This
2: is the first time it's being shown. It's being shown to you. And we felt like um, basically... You know, let's try it out in in, 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 in a test place where yeah. it's big on football, but they may not see this side. It's a different right. culture. Right. The way you guys play and the way you practice is different. Totally. Than the way that they do it down in South Florida.
0: Well, that's something I'm so interested in is that dynamic, right? Because you mentioned the, the fact that your family, a lot of it came from migrant workers, sharecroppers, things like that. And then there's also the element of this community get impacted by natural disasters frequently, right? So it seems as if football is sort of this tie that binds, right? The thing that brings people together. It's very similar to Montana in a completely different way, right? Like here, it's the cold weather, the isolation, all that, but also it's sort of our coming-of-age ceremony for young men, right? And I think that that's what makes football so so powerful across cultures, right? But, I mean, it seems like that's a huge influence, right? It's a teen teen sport now.
2: You, uh, um, what are the players here? Is um, um, Montana University, University of Montana, and Montana State University? Okay. Yep. So um, you guys want to challenge these South Florida boys and see if you, guys <laughs> can, you know, see if you guys can, y'all, uh, you know, step up? Cause yo, know, I'm gonna tell you, there was this team, and we, when we filmed. We filmed, uh, and my nephew was the defensive coordinator. And they were a high school team. So the the films, the stuff that you're seeing, Mm -hmm. is all high school. But you'll see how the community comes together. And they packed. And it was an undefeated season. So they went 17, and what was it, like 12-0 or something like that? I think it was 14-0. 14-0. And and so they went to the state championship. They won it. We followed that whole season. And... You know, just to see the support. Yeah, and it's a small town like this, mm-hmm. and everybody supports the team. So that's the big thing. It's like Friday Night Lights, right? You know what I'm saying? So everybody comes dressed up. I mean, it, it, it's like a fashion show when you see. Like, you're like, oh, so you, you know, dressed up and dialed up just to come to the game. You know what I'm saying? But that's where the community comes together.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'll just add that, you know, there was a game that that we filmed, the first game of the season. They called it the Battle of the Champions, and it was basically a a state championship team from New uh, New Jersey. Uh Came down to Pahokee, and it was essentially a challenge. Everybody had... All the money on the New Jersey team because the year before, and they had a lot of returning seniors, the year before they won the state championship, played in the Meadowlands and everything. Mm-hmm. And so they were coming down, trash talking on social oh, media really about Pahoki, all these kids, these, these country boys <laughs> yeah. and all this. Yeah, yeah, And you should have seen, I mean, we, it, was our, it was actually our first game filming. Yeah. So I was even exhausted because you're talking about 90 degree temperatures yes. in yes. September in Match. Florida. Nat, wow. You know, oh my God, the humidity. Yes. So guys are passing out on the field. New you, know, the New and, you know, the Jersey guys. <laughs> right. well, the hockey kids are laughing at him. You know, yeah. and they ended up blowing them out, and that yeah. was the beginning of that season. Hydrate. But the thing that was so crazy <laughs> is it's so big that. At that game, actually, that first game, you had ESPN there. You have yeah, networks.
2: SB yeah. Nation. SB Nation
1: because yes. every on both sides of the field, on both sides of the, you know, you got divi- guys who are going Division One. So this is like kind of like everyone gets to scout, you know, some of the top players in the country in these games. And I think that's the kind of thing that's really interesting about this community is it's a very small town, about 7,000. But they say that from this region, the most per capita of any region in the country. Right. They produce NFL football players, and and what's happening now that you know if you want to talk about this a little bit is some of these players are coming back to the community sure. to invest and to build up the
2: community after they've gone out and been successful. So sort of revitalizing the exactly. tradition, right? Exactly. So we want we want to because uh, Key looks like a third world country. I, I'm not I'm not going to lie about it. And yeah. US Sugar is the biggest you know, corporation there. Totally. A billion dollar industry. Yes. But you have million dollar NFL players that wanna come back and build. Right. So we want to use this film to, you know, support with them. So we're working with some of these players. We're in we're in um we're trying to coordinate with them and they have what is it called? Muck City uh City Project. Muck City Project where they're trying to the Belle Glade area in the Pahokee area, the Clueston, and they're trying to build the backup without using corporation money or government money. So we wanted to become self sustaining and have resources. You know, Bowen has a youth effect, so Bowen teaches youth how to film from 14 to 24. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he wants to bring that project there. So we're we're saying let's give them resources to grow, yeah. you know, because there's nothing there, you know. Let's give them resources to grow, but let's, let's let it come from the people to have the let them have self-pride. So that's the goal of the film, to show you the history and to show you the cause and effect, but also come up with the solution. Like, I'm going I'm to give you all a shout out again, the University of Mon- Montana, if you guys want to, um, <laughs> we're going to arrange it. I don't think anybody wants to uh, mess around with any Florida guys. I,
0: I think we need to have more like a Texas versus Florida bowl. Cause that's what I've always heard is it's Texas versus Florida, right? Where all the high school football players come. Well guys, I wish we had more time, but this has been great. Thank you so much for swinging by. Again, the film is out of the muck, which raids into the, uh, the rich soil of Pahokee, Florida, a rural town in Florida. And, uh, one of the great producers per capita of any place, in America and in the world of NFL talent. You can go check out this film, 5.30 tomorrow evening at the Roxy, or excuse me, at the Wilma, uh, 5.30 again tomorrow at the Wilma. You can also stream it on the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival website as well. Guys, this was great. Thanks so much for yeah, coming well,
2: Before you leave, I just want to say, if you guys want to do like research on it, go to YouTube and look up SB Nation Muck City. Oh, very good. Okay. And, and that, that will show you, but it's a different story from what we're doing.
0: Very much, very much appreciated. Thank you so much for that. Right, Thank you. You can go check that out tomorrow, and there's all sorts of other great films rolling as well. So go get yourself that All Access Pass. Go see some documentaries this week. I this next move, man. <laughs> Gotta love it. You want us now? Yes, been radio as well as SWX Montana Television. Take you home here on a Tuesday, back after this.
2: Now on 102.9 ESPN, Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Step into the realm, you're bound to get caught. From this worldly life, you'll soon depart. Step into the realm, you're bound to get caught. From this worldly life, you'll soon depart. Step into the round, you're bound to get caught.
0: What up, Montana? Happy Tuesday. Thanks so much for kicking it with us here on your Tuesday. We're up against it. Don't have much time. If you missed anything in today's show, you can find all of it on the nuanas Now podcast, proudly presented by Sportsbet Montana, as well as The Advocates. You can also find all of our Big Sky Documentary Film Festival interviews on a separate podcast feed. Just search Big Sky Documentary Film Festival or Big Sky Doc Fest, various podcast hosting apps, and they'll be all over that as well. Tomorrow, back at it, our 10th anniversary of ESPN Radio here in Missoula continues. But we won't have an interview subject on that note. We're just going to give you 10 wings every 10 minutes for the duration of the show. So stay tuned for that. Former voice of the Bobcats, Dean Alexander, will join us, as will voice of the Grizz, Riley Corcoran, and Alex Escherman from SWX Montana Television. Meet you back here tomorrow at 4 p.m. New is now. The Advocates can help you if you've been injured in an automobile, motorcycle, pedestrian, or even a dog bite accident. For additional information on other types of cases that the advocates handle, you can always visit MontanaAdvocates.com. You can chat with an experienced attorney with no upfront out-of-pocket expense. Visit online or call 406-640-4444 today. Or you can visit MontanaAdvocates.com. And remember, you deserve an advocate. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here. And if you need some nice winter gear... How about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.